Hey everyone, and welcome to Rise Above It, the official podcast of the Rise business community, where we talk about goals, failures, success, and how to navigate the pursuit of dreams. You're on with your host, Jeff Noth. Hey, hey. And myself, Stu Campbell. Thank you for joining us. Our next guest is Neil Sony, author of The Startup Goldmine, consultant and multiple business founder, including The Ultimate Brewing Company, an early way to personalize and customize beer to match one's brand. We're here to talk with Neil about bravery and free thought, something he's, he excels at, and something which founders, good citizens in general, should seek to practice. Neil has a track record of taking risks, pursuing ideas, and innovation in general. So today we'd like to delve into how businesses and startups can continue to thrive and lead their communities amidst the ever-changing rules and community dynamics we're seeing. Neil, thank you for joining us on Rise Above It today. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. This is uh, this is gonna be a lot of fun. I appreciate that. So uh, let's just let's just jump in. Uh, it might seem like a, a random start to the interview, but I think you and I connected uh, years back on the subject of permaculture or permanent agriculture, which some of our listeners might remember was my background as well as that of our fifth guest, uh, John Van Dusen Edwards of the Food Is Free Project. Uh, it's an esoteric field of study, and it often seems. Uh, one has to have kind of a, a penchant for questioning narratives to, to some extent, to even stumble upon it. Uh, <laughs> how did you come to discover permaculture? Why did it interest you? Uh, and did you ever plant that initial idea seed? Yeah, well, I have. So I have a friend who hasn't made the move to actually do this yet. But for years, he's been talking about uh, buying a farm. And and he, that, I mean, he he's definitely, you know, an outdoorsy type. And um he does a lot of gardening considering he lives in new jersey not a massive garden but he you know for what he has he does a lot so he and i have kind of talked about this topic uh a lot and he kind of would send me links and you know i'd be reading about it so to me it always just permaculture seemed like a very elegant uh idea right and it's there's just something about it that um was just beautiful right that i just resonated with me uh even from like the first time i i came across it and so it just feels um I don't know what the right the right term to to use for it is, but uh, it's almost like using a systems approach to to growing, right, or, or agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, but in in a way that's that, that kind of reduces waste, and I mean, it's, there's so many benefits to it, which you're obviously much more well versed th- than I am. But uh, yeah, that's when I saw that's what you were you were kind of. I think I saw a post that you had done uh, about that, and and uh, I was like, okay, this is this is somebody to follow. <laughs> <laughs> you know that was that was the start of of many more interesting posts to 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 come from you on that and other topics. So yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad glad I stumbled upon that. No, I appreciate that. It, yeah, it's funny. It's uh, you know, that was my background, and then it, cause it was about it was about helping people really, and I wanted to do something that was different, uh, essentially. So I wasn't, you know, not to talk about me too much. This is about you, but I think it kind of you know might resonate with you as far as you know, this, this, it's a different approach. Like you said, systems, it's, you know, trying to think outside the box, uh, and, and, and help people too. So it's, yep. uh, yeah, like when you, when you really, if you get into the community at all, it's, uh, it's people who, you know, they're, they're not, I, I mean, this in the best way, not, nor, not normal, <laughs> you know, uh, very yeah. political, uh, you know, lots of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, just, uh, interesting characters so uh yeah i was just i was just kind of curious and uh, i guess seeing you know you who's got a really uh, big business background getting into it kind of reminds me of the i guess the the popular uh 
uh, Twitter uh, handle Ramp Capital. Oh yeah, who's always yeah. talking about investing, but then he'll randomly post something about you know blueberries or this garden, and, uh, and it's kind of kind of interesting. But so, you know what? Uh, so much of it is connected, right? It's like yeah. I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, it doesn't feel like different boxes, right, in your own brain, right? They they're all they're all kind of pieces to the puzzle and, and like a window into how you, how you're, you know, you're viewing the world, um, you know, permaculture, like for example, uh, it, it's, it's elegant in the sense there's no waste. It's like, you know, we're not no waste, but there, you know, it's, le- it's, it's more efficient. It's more of a, um, I don't know, the, there's probably a better term for this, but like less monolithic approach for, yeah. <laughs> for agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, it just ties to, if you even if you think about like business in a sustainable way, uh, it, it's like a very similar mindset, right? And and, and investing as well. And I mean, there's in my in my opinion, uh, you know, these sort of boxes that we artificially draw around uh, the different fields is um, it, it's kind of like a human construct. It's not really kind of what reality is. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. I always thought of it as trying to uh, mimic natural systems. Yep. And, and for me, I came to it from from native landscaping, too. Hmm. Uh, and my buddy who lives actually uh, near you, just outside of D.C., uh, was really into foraging. And yep. I found out a lot of the plants that he would forage. He was kind of a survivalist type of guy. Uh, I, I, I found that they, they were native and something that I was already kind of planting in my uh, nonprofit work. Yep. And so I said, what if we could intentionally plant something that's good for the wildlife, but also good for me? The whole, like, if you were foraging, like all the edible plants you could find, can you gather them into one spot and have them work harmoniously? Yep. And so I, I try to do that with business too. Uh, and, you know, it remains to be seen what happens with, with Rise, but we're optimistic and, and trying to not, you know, for something, you know, what can, can we reverse engineer things that are working well out in the wild, uh, only in a, you know, a business marketplace type of thing. So yeah, no, that, that's yeah. interesting. They had some really good points there. Yeah. So yeah, I know it's, 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 uh, I mean, it's nice to come across like, you know, other fellow thinkers who, who come across things and, and feel kind of the same way that these are all, um, these are all kind of pieces of the puzzle and not necessarily, uh, silos, right. That, it, mm-hmm. it, I, you know, school definitely encourages that. And I mean, school is a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. Um, you know, there's good and bad there, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just that that's the way that kind of we've, we've all kind of grown up and, and been taught, uh, is to think in terms of, well, this is business or this is permaculture, or this is, you know, food, or this is, you know, whatever, you know, this is technology, but really all of it is, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all, uh, this is going to sound almost hippie-ish, but it's all one thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They're just, they're just different pieces. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Neil. So uh, what brought you to founding the ultimate brewing company? Were you a beer snob of sorts or did you just <laughs> sort of see a marketing opportunity that wasn't there before? And before you answer well, that, yeah, are go ahead. IPAs the best beer or <laughs> the greatest beer ever? <laughs> I, I do love I do love an IPA. You know, I'm actually I, I don't you know I don't really have uh, a good answer when someone says like what's your favorite beer or favorite style of beer. Nora. They're so they're so uh, occasion dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're on a hot summer day and and I'm sitting outside or something, you know, it's hard to beat like a nice crisp lager, mm-hmm. uh, or you know even a nice IPA that that circumstance. But you know it's a cold winter day and uh, <laughs> it's 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 the evening or night. You know one of an imperial stout or something nice and heavy. Uh, you know, that works really well too. So I don't know, to me, the favorite question is very context dependent, but, um, oh, yeah. 
for uh yeah but i i i don't i haven't met a style of beer that i don't like i'll, I'll say that okay <laughs> uh so yeah so for um, the company's unlimited brewing um so you know it was kind of interesting like it, in some ways it actually uh Stu maybe resonates with the the permaculture idea um uh, in the sense that uh so i was just to give you the background i was a a home brewer for a number of years um i'm a chemical engineer actually by education so uh, something maybe you or the audience doesn't know is a lot of chemis uh, end up homebrewing beer, uh, especially <laughs> in college, just because it's, yeah. it's, it's the practical application in some ways of what, what you're learning. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and it just, it, it just happens <laughs> to be, I'm, I'm, I've talked to so many chemis over the years, other schools and uh, yeah, everybody kind of, they, if they weren't a home brewer, they know somebody who's a, who's a home brewer, uh, yeah. who, who they went to school with. So it's, it just, it seems to be a natural, uh, attraction, um, to that, but I did that for a number of years and, um, you know, really enjoyed it. And, and, uh, I was friends with some folks who, who owned breweries, uh, some, one of them I knew from school, others I, I met through other things. And, um, there was a, a constant problem that kept being brought up, which was, uh, to start a brewery, the the biggest costs that are kind of like the biggest inputs are the equipment uh, and then the location. And the lower costs, actually, the, the, the kind of minimal costs, even though, uh, I mean, they're not minimal, but they're, they're certainly less on a percentage basis, is labor and ingredients. Uh, so that brought up uh, an issue with for almost every uh, craft brewery, which is uh, they were not using their equipment uh, to, full, to, to the full extent. So, you know, they might be running their equipment five hours a day, six hours a day, uh, you know, if they're lucky, right? And some, some people, they'd be running four days a week. Uh, and you can be profitable as a, as a craft brewery if you're doing a lot of on-premise sales. So, you know, people come into the brewery, they hang out, they drink. Uh, your margins are really, really good on that. So you can actually have a profitable neighborhood brewery pretty easily um, if people, you know, will come to your brewery, you're in a good location, but you're certainly leaving a lot of money on the table when your equipment isn't being used all the time. Mm -hmm. So, so this was one, this was kind of like one piece of, of information that I had, uh, you know, from, I was hearing from multiple places. And at the same time, I was kind of nibbling on this idea of, um, of actually starting a brewery myself. Cause I saw, you know, I had friends doing very, very well in that business and, uh, and I was always interested in it. So I was like, well, you know, let me look into what it takes to start one of these. Yeah. And it is a big endeavor, right? You have to raise, I mean, some people did equity financing, but mostly it was debt. Um, and you have to, you know, basically it takes a lot of cash to get, you know, get the lease, get all the equipment. Um, and it was not cheap. So, uh, you know, I was looking at that. I was like, they're, they're, and I come from, from tech is my main background. So I was like, there has to be a better way to just test and like, see if I'm even, you know, if I have any, any uh, ability in this industry, right? It can't, it can't be that step one, is you take out a three hundred thousand dollar loan, right? Like that just that just doesn't seem uh, like you know an efficient way of doing things. Yeah, step so, three project. Yeah, yeah. It just seems. Yeah, it was just it was. You know, I'm like that just doesn't 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 make sense to me. So, um, you know, so I started looking into it. There were these these uh, breweries that basically they were called contract breweries, and that's all they did. They basically uh, did contract production for other people, but. Those other people usually were like grocery chains. So like Trader Joe's or Costco, yeah. um, you know, your big, you know, people who are doing a lot of volume um, and they would want, you know, recurring contracts. So it, even though you're not taking out a $300,000 loan, you're still committing to taking on like a massive amount of volume 
uh, you know, over the 12 months, like you're, it's still a massive commitment, right? There's no test and there's no test and learn, uh, in that type of scenario. So, um, so I'm seeing that. And then I'm, I'm hearing that these breweries have excess capacity. So I'm like, what if you put the two and two together and you say like the breweries that have excess capacity, what if they could brew projects kind of in their spare time, get extra revenue, uh, and people who are interested in having the brand, but not necessarily owning the space could, um, you know, could, could get their projects done and, and not have a long-term commitment uh, and just sort of test it out. So that was, that was kind of like iteration one. Uh, and that was for people like myself who were home brewers who wanted to test out uh, recipes in the market. As these things go, it's not really, it was never really that simple. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of regulation around beer, which as a home brewer, you know, you never interact with. Uh, mm -hmm. And honestly, also as a professional brewery, you would never interact with because the laws are right now set up for, um, of course, like for the existing business model, right? So that's how the the distribution laws are set up. And and so, you know, just to give you like one example, uh, a craft brewery in many, in most states, actually, I don't know about all states, but I, I definitely know in most states, um, if you sign up with a distributor, it's a one-way cancellation agreement, meaning the distributor can drop you, but you can't drop the distributor. Really? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. It's very one way. Um, you know, they were written in a different era when there were like 30 breweries in America, uh, <laughs> and, uh, not for the craft beer era. So, you know, the laws are slowly changing, but the practical application of that for, for us was, um, let's say, you know, a beer is produced by a brewery in, in the, in our network, it has to be, uh, distributed through their existing distributor, which means their distributor also has to be on board and gets a cut, uh, so, you know, these were a lot of things I didn't know going into the business. We, we still were able to kind of hack together an interesting uh, business, but without kind of like the recurring revenue that I was hoping for. So at the moment, actually, the business is, is kind of on pause because the, the, uh, the, the business we had was, and I'll tell you the three verticals and you're, you're going to, because of COVID, you're going to just be like, oh, I see exactly, mm -hmm. I see exactly what's going on. So our three verticals where we actually found some initial traction were number one events, uh, so weddings, corporate events, things like that. Uh, number two, restaurants and yeah. number three, hotels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those were our, that was like 99.9% .9 of our revenue. I think we had a couple like individuals who were like, well, my dad really likes beer. And we would say, well, our minimum, you have to get at least 10 cases. Otherwise it doesn't, the shipping doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they would be like, okay, sure. You know, so we had a couple of those projects, but by and large, it was, I mean, corporate events were a big one, you know, a company doing like a summer party or yeah. a holiday party. Right. I mean, these are, I mean, I mean, we worked with some big companies as well. So, uh, like we did, uh, events with the economist, with wall street journal, um, Accenture, you know, the companies you would imagine are throwing big events. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so those were, you know, that was a big part of our, our business, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, there were a couple things that maybe the business, like, so the good news is, you know, I'm, I was, um, or am, you know, really the, 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 by far the majority owner, I have a couple, um, like minority partners in the business, um, who were, you know, like early employees basically who, um, came on as, as, uh, you know, I gave them equity basically instead of paying them early on. Um, and, uh, so the good news is, you know, we're not on a clock, like a venture capital clock. So I do think that, you know, the, the way I've kind of done it right now, the costs are effectively zero. Uh, so the business is, you know, there is, I call you know, I tell people it's in a coma, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I can take it out of the coma when I, when, when it makes sense to, 
Um, but yeah, at the moment it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really make sense. I can knock on as many uh, restaurant doors as I want, but it's, uh, it's not going to really move the needle. I don't think. Yeah. So oh, man. that's a, uh, it's, that's, that's a good story. And, and, uh, my bad on that too. I think I accidentally, uh, wrote, uh, ultimate in our, in our questions. So no, 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 that's fine. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's but okay. No, but it was, it was, you know, it was honestly, it's a very good, uh, learning experience into like a regulated industry, which is not something I had, I had operated in before. And it's, it's fascinating, like where the guardrails end up, um, you know, kind of uh, not just hampering innovation, but almost making it impossible. Uh, you know, like, for example, with, for us, like, I think part of the reason those three verticals were the only ones that made sense is it had to be an incredibly high margin. Uh, it had to be a customer who was willing to pay uh, a price that left a, a very high margin. So, like, just to give you, you know, some 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 numbers on that. Like we would charge on uh, on average the you know the price to get a, uh, a case of beer, so twenty four beers through unlimited brewing would be somewhere in the like eighty to, or sixty dollars a case if you were if you were uh, ordering a high volume, but typically it's more like the eighty to one hundred dollars a case, which is really hefty. Like a craft beer, like if you to buy a case of craft beer uh, at a store, you know you're probably maybe forty bucks is what you're looking at. Um, so we're talking like double, right. Of, of, of yeah. standard cost. So it would really have to be somebody who's willing to pay that premium for that, that personalization. Uh, and there aren't a lot of verticals where that makes sense. Right. So like even a restaurant, it was high end restaurants. It wasn't yeah. like your, you know, it wasn't like your Chipotle is going to do something like this or, um, like a, you know, a fast casual type of restaurant. It was much more, um, you know, a, a restaurant that was going to charge $10 a beer, let's say, yeah. uh, right. that, you know, for it to make sense. And the reason we had to do that uh, is because the way that the, the, the beer system is kind of regulated and, uh, I don't want to bore your, your, your listeners with all the, uh, the, the beer industry talk, but, uh, there's a, it's a three tier system. So you have the producer, which is the, you know, the brewery itself, the distributor, and then the retailer. And in our case, and then us, right. So we were the fourth layer, wow. uh, each K each, uh, layer of that tends to get 30%. So, um, in our case, right, nobody wanted to get less money. Why would they do it if they were going to get less money than usual? So the breweries wanted, you know, their full amount. The distributor wanted 30%, even though the distributor wasn't bringing the customer to the table like they usually do. We were bringing the customer to the table, but, you know, they still want their 30%. And then uh, the retailer, like the restaurant, still wants to make 30% off of it. And we, we obviously want to make something off of it as well. So, so it jacks up the price then when you have all these uh, middlemen involved. But if you look at it from a business standpoint, there's no reason the distributor had to be involved. You know, they don't even handle shipping, which is crazy. Yeah, you have to weird. pay for shipping separately. So, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, that's why there's that, you know, that rise in these last couple of years with the, the D2C or the direct yes. consumer startups. Yep. Uh, so that might yep. be more of an esoteric uh, acronym to, for some. But, you know, your, your mattress and like all, all these products, too, because it was, it, was, it was ridiculous to try to compete when you had those four, you know, layers essentially or you were the fourth layer yep. uh, but yeah but i think point, and but... i think where beer is tricky is like that is that's required by law right so like the the crazy thing is that uh you know in in mattresses or <laughs> any other dtc vertical uh it you know it's kind of up to like whatever is the most efficient way of doing it so if the consumer gets a better experience this way versus going to the store they'll pick that if they prefer to go to the store you know maybe there's a place for that uh, but in beer like the distributors are are like they basically have a by law monopoly, yeah. uh, which is, you know, that is changing. I have to say, like there are in most states now, craft breweries can sell direct out of their own facility, but they can't ship. 
right? So like that's the catch. So they have to, you know, you have to kind of come in and mm-hmm. pick it up. And in California, they allow shipping in state, so you can't cross state lines, and that's a a whole nother story that you know wine is allowed to cross uh, state lines, beer is not. Be <laughs> uh, direct to consumer. One lobby is obviously working a little harder. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> what's the you know like from a health standpoint, what's the difference? Like you you know it's really. Uh, you can't, you can't point to health if wine is allowed and beer is not, but that's a, that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a weird holdover from prohibition, but who knows? Yeah, it it is. It is. And the argument is that for wine, uh, well, I mean, this is, this is really the reason it is, is that every state has a beer industry. So they don't want out of state breweries kind of encroaching on that, Uh, but every state does not have a wine industry. Right. So like, you know, California, of course, has a big wine industry. Washington state does. And, you know, some other states like New York has a small wine industry, but certainly not a big like lobbying powerhouse. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of benefits that the state would get to import wine and then charge a state tax on that, right, is it outweighs like what their producers are, are giving them. So I think for wine, you didn't have like the internal um, pressure to like keep the out-of-state people out yeah, yeah. so they allowed the the interstate commerce on that for i think for most states there are probably a few states that i know when i've bought wine online there's some uh there's some like states they list like if you live in one of these states you can't uh you can't buy it but yeah. i know for beer it's pretty much there's no states that allow the the interstate uh interstate commerce interesting interesting okay no that that was all new new to me too and it, yeah it's interesting too i mean uh you kind of brought up a a point a little bit that relates to the next one. So uh, on free thought and creative pursuits, uh, I want to preface with uh, actually a, a goodwill hunting quote with respect to small business today. Uh, Liberty is a soul's right to breathe. And when it cannot take a long breath, laws are girded too tight. That's from the beginning <laughs> when, when he's in court. Uh, in your experience and in your consulting, do you recommend open-mindedness uh, or rigid thinking as the pathway to creation? trick uh question <laughs> yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to find the catch there because yeah, yeah no 100 percent, 100 percent the uh the open-mindedness um you know i think it's it's uh well and i think this is something like everybody has to keep reminding themselves because it's easy to as you build expertise in something to feel like well i'm the expert uh you know the other people don't know what they're talking about but you know the good ideas come from come from anywhere mm. uh I mean, they can come from, you're talking to, you know, you're, you're hanging out with like your cousin's kid or something and a five-year-old and says something really interesting. And you're like, huh, I never thought about it that way before. And a good idea can come from that. You know, it could come from a book. It could come from a movie. It could come from a song. Like, uh, yeah, having that open-mindedness, I think is the, is the key. It's obviously easier said than done. Um, but it's, it, you know, I think that's where you get, uh, you get in trouble when you start believing your own bullshit. So, (laughs) Yeah, it's a slippery yeah, slope. The, uh, yep. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 definitely an easier said than done thing. But I would certainly say that you know innovation and and uh, success in general just probably comes much better if you're open minded to to ideas wherever they come from. Yeah. yeah and obviously, that was uh, you know an obvious uh, question, but I just kind of see if we could go off on, on some tangents there. And then yep. it reminds, <laughs> you know, it makes me think of you know all these different pursuits where you know it's the look to the experts type of thing. But if you get, you know, like you said, you know, believe in your, your BS for too long type of thing, you know, you're, what if something new comes along and it's like, Oh, well, the science is settled. Like, well, science or almost any kind of field, it should be dynamic and open to critique. And that's yep. not, it's there, a living, uh, you know, organism essentially. So 100%. And I guess, see, this is where it ties back to like the permaculture idea. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, the, uh, 
you know, the, the, the metaphor that I like to use is the uh, map versus the terrain, right? So like yeah. the terrain is always shifting. It's different, but your map, if it, your map stays static, your map is not going to be correct. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, mm-hmm. and that's the, you know, that's kind of like the thing. So if when somebody says, Oh, like the science, the science has settled the question. It's like, well, you know, that's not really how science works. If you know anything about science, like science is not a static thing. Uh, you know, things, yeah. I mean, like think all you have to do is like, think about a hundred years ago and just think like, what did they think was true that we now know is false. And like, Mm -hmm. honestly, even things that uh, I was talking to somebody earlier today about, about something in, um, in, uh, uh, around nutrition and, uh, you know, and I'm certainly not like a nutrition expert in any, any way, shape or form. So the point here is not a nutrition point. The point is that like the recommendation changed, but it was, it was that when I was remembering, like when I was a kid, uh, everybody would kind of be using like margarine and things like that. And, and now like kind of the basis is like, well, margarine's bad. You'd rather use, you know, natural products and real products like butter. Uh, and, uh, you know, and like, and, 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 uh, yeah, there was something else that they were they were recommending, but yeah, it was basically like not using margarine is now the the you know kind of mainstream approved thing, and so like just that one example tells you like the expert's opinion changed on something, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and there's so there's, you can point to so many things. At one point, like smoking was considered uh, a healthy thing. There were like yeah. ads with doctors, like four out of five doctors smoke camels. <laughs> yeah, yep. yep, yep. So so this is like exactly what I'm talking about. That it's like never it's never settled, and and, it, and it's in my opinion, it's very cocky to, uh, to believe that we live in a time that everything is, is solved. Right. And like, we're just, you know, we, we know what science is now. Uh, just those, it was those dumb people a hundred years ago. They didn't know what science was, but we, you know, we've evolved so far. Uh, (laughs) so yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, uh, so the Matt versus terrain, uh, metaphor is what I like to use. And, 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 you know, those, that's why you're map making. And this goes back to the open-mindedness, like, your map, uh, if you're, if you're closed minded and kind of rigid, you never, your map will never adjust to, to what the terrain adjusts to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and I think like that is the, the way I try to keep myself humble and it doesn't always, doesn't always work. But what I try to do is, uh, remind myself that my map is always wrong, right? It's like, it's just degrees of wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's, if I'm like closer to being right than wrong, that's good. Uh, and then, you know, it can also be very off as well. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's like, that's the metaphor that I, I try to use to, to remind myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Uh, A little transition here. So you've got a degree in chemical and biomedical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University. Did your parents ever get mad when they realized you weren't going to be an engineer per se? No, that is a, that is a good question. Um, you know, not really, because I think the, um, I think I kind of showed, so I started my first company in college uh, and actually my first company, my first like real company was, was in college. My first like sort of company in the sense that it was like a cash business that was making me money, uh, was in, was in high school. So, uh, you know, I had kind of shown that like entrepreneurial, uh, thought process before college even, and then during college, of course. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it was like a surprise to any of them. I, I, you know, to my parents or, or to anyone else in, in my family, like, I think, I think it would have been more surprising if I got, if I got a job, yeah, <laughs> like a, a job as an engineer, like I did get a job after college, but mm-hmm. uh, it was with like a four person startup. So yeah. uh, that was, that was more like on brand, I would say. Yeah. Even <laughs> early on like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah you know, so I think, I, but that said, like I do, um, and, and I, I changed my opinion on this over the years, but 
uh, early, like right after college, I was thinking like, why did I even finish college? Right. Like I should have probably, you know, maybe skipped it or, or whatever. And, um, you know, I was like chemical engineering. I didn't end up doing anything with it, but I have found that, uh, it did shape my thought process in a lot of ways in like a systems way, actually. Uh, cause that's not a way that I thought before. Um, and it's certainly, you know, I didn't read much about systems engineering or anything like that, like in my spare time. So the only way that I got that kind of background was, uh, was through the, the chemi work and, okay. uh, yeah. And I, so I do think like it did, it did kind of shape the way I, the way I think, you know, we, it's a, it's a hypothetical question of like what else I could have done in those four years. But, uh, yeah, but I, I do find that like, even though I'm not working as a chemical engineer, there's, there's, uh, you know, that background certainly shaped how I thought. Okay. Interesting. And that's kind of like the, the, the map, uh, theory, like you were saying before too, like you didn't have a, a, a rigid one necessarily whereas you know some kids do from their parents like you have to be a doctor you have to do this yeah yeah so i was very lucky in that regard no that's good that's yeah. good um so another little trans transition uh you helped lead the growth team at momtrusted.com which helps parents find the best preschools and even tutors now with many surveys saying they will or are considering homeschooling this year are you proud knowing you helped grow something that could positively impact families dealing with government waffling and or COVID fears? <laughs> well, I mean, so that was a number of years ago. Obviously, a lot of things have uh, have changed since then. But yeah, that was, you know, the 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 thing that I think about most uh, these days in regards to that that whole experience was um, the owners of these of these daycares and preschools, like I interacted. So I was leading the growth team. I was, I was leading marketing and sales and. Uh, you know, I did a lot of sales conversations with preschool owners, daycare owners, um, you know, whether it's in, an in-home daycare, whether it's a, uh, you know, standalone facility or a small chain. Uh, you know, a lot of these people are like former teachers who saved up for a long time. They basically built, you know, saved up to start their own school. And they had, you know, this is like their, their goal, their life dream, basically. And, you know, I just feel like there's probably a lot of people like that who right now are, in big trouble as small business owners uh, just simply because of like waffling and competence, whatever you want to call it. And um, it's, it's a shame. Like, you know, these people are, I, I didn't interact with a bad customer. Like it's, you know, there were uneducated customers in the sense they didn't understand how a website worked. You know, I had one lady to ask me to call Google to change where she sits on the, on the search results. Like <laughs> there were things like that, right? Like there were, but none of them were bad. Like I never interacted with a customer who was like unpleasant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like these were all very nice, you know, people and, and, you know, you could tell they were really passionate about what they, what they do. And, uh, you know, they were educators for the most part, less business people, you know, business was kind of a means to uh, educate the way they wanted to and, and kind of, you know, uh, do what they wanted to do. And, uh, yeah, it's like, I've been thinking about that a lot recently and that, you know, a lot of these folks are, you know, I'm sure their businesses are in big trouble. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I think just a, just a little random, uh, compliment too. I think, uh, part of your, you know, results might've been from your approach too. I think there's a lot of like, we, we get out what we put in type of thing. Uh, so I think, you know, just from, from our experience talking to small businesses too, you know, you can have somebody with a bad reaction if there's kind of a smarmy salesman and you strike me as, you know, the opposite of, of that. So uh, I, I think your your results and like your interactions, uh, it seems like uh, were because of the, your your approach. But uh, I appreciate I, that. But yeah, no, I mean, that's like I, I'm sure that, you know, childcare is not the only business hurting, obviously. But um, yeah. 
but yeah, but that's one that I think about. And, and I mean, the cool thing is like, there will be new business models that of course come along. And, and I, you know, uh, this week, a lot of people were talking about micro schools and, you know, I'm sure these educators will find other ways to kind of educate kids. Like, you know, kids like that's, if you go back to the map versus terrain thing, right? Like um, the terrain is that kids will still need to be educated, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. that need, that customer need is not going away. It's more the, the map, like the delivery vehicle of that yeah. uh, is, is shifting. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure there will be ways, you know, they, they can continue doing uh, what they want to do. It's just that, you know, the, the legacy of, you know, whatever, let's say they started a business and they're going to have a ton of debt. Like, you know, should their credit be ruined because of this thing? Uh, probably not. You know, I don't think they deserve that. Right. I mean, no. what did they do wrong? So uh, yeah, it's like that type of stuff. So, you know, if we can solve, uh, and this is, you know, this is one of those questions like above my pay grade, but um, if we can solve how to like not have these people, pay for something that they, you know, be punished for something that obviously was not in their control or their fault. Like, I think, you know, they'll still get to do what they, you know, what they're, they're passionate about. Um, but it would, it would really, really suck if, you know, obviously the, not just in childcare, but any of the small business owners who are really being hurt, like if they're kind of scarred for life basically, mm-hmm. yeah. um, because of effectively, uh, you know, a act of God slash plus, incompetence yeah that's, that's lo- what's <laughs> a lot of the fear yeah. is right now for sure yeah yep. um we touched on this a bit with your educational background but mindset is extremely important in shaping one's long-term path but also coping with short-term issues like lockdowns and business regulations where would you say your mindset came from with respect to critical thinking and autonomy did your upbringing have a sort of an aha moment with respect to self-determination um that's a good question uh you know, I don't know about if there was ever like an aha moment. Um, I, I've always, I mean, I've definitely always been an independent thinker in the sense that uh, it can get me in trouble sometimes and definitely like growing up and stuff. So, uh, you know, I remember like in, in fourth grade, I forget exactly, you know, what the test was about. There was a math test of some sort and uh, I got the question wrong or at least the teacher marked it wrong and she was right. But I tried to like, I, I remember spending like 30 minutes trying to prove her wrong <laughs> of, uh, of why, you know, I did it. And, uh, you know, this is, this is probably a, a better one is that, you know, growing up, they would always ding you points for not showing your work on uh, math things. And I, I still do. I do a lot of this in my, a lot, I do a lot of math in my head and, um, or, you know, and, and in my opinion, that should be fine as long as you get to the, the same answer, but they'd always ding you points on that. Yeah. And I remember, always getting into arguments about that and being like, well, I got the right answer. So what's the, you know, why does it matter how I got there? Uh, so yeah, these, you know, these just like to go back to like the aha moment. I don't think there's an aha moment. I don't know if it's uh, ingrained or, or, or what it is, but um, yeah, I've always kind of been a little skeptical of authority. You could say yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's probably one thing. And then the other thing is I have always been a, a reader. So, um, you know, I was never, the, the, the type of person to be getting, you know, all my info from one source. Uh, so I think that, that definitely probably the, you know, I don't know what motivates that, but that probably also kind of keeps you in some ways just outside the mainstream always, um, you know, whether, whether it is cause you're reading books, other people aren't reading or websites, other people aren't reading or following Twitter accounts, other people aren't following, uh, <laughs> You know, I just, yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing, though, about about the Internet, right, is you can find other misfits. And and this is like this is maybe like a meta point, but um, it's it, it's something I like actively try to not conform to the to almost the outcast group on Twitter. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, 
you see what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Like the, uh, and I'm probably doing a terrible job of, of explaining this, but um, even among, like with the internet, you can find, like you may think that you're not a mainstream thinker and that's probably true. And then you find like, you know, 10,000 other misfits like you oh, on yeah. the internet. <laughs> But it's so easy to then conform to those 10,000 other misfits, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you kind of got to purposely stay almost outside of that misfit group, too. Uh, and it's it, it's hard, very hard to explain. This is what I mean. It's like a meta point. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is in some ways comforting to be part of a group. But then on the other hand, you know, you also, uh, at least for me, I, I get a little uncomfortable with that feeling too. Yeah. No, I, yeah um, I know, if I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I think, uh, especially if, if you're a Reddit user like myself, you kind of find yourself in different, uh, subreddits there and you realize how many like-minded individuals are there with you. And yeah, you know, it, it does kind of turn into like a hive mind almost with, with certain things and certain issues. The, the good thing is that like, you can kind of pick and choose too. like Reddit and Twitter are good in that sense yeah. that you can kind of like subscribe to what you want to subscribe. Like I know on Twitter, I'll like, you know, go down a rabbit hole and follow a bunch of accounts in one area. And then like three weeks later, I'll be like, okay, I don't really care about that rabbit hole anymore. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then unfollow. And, uh, but it's like, I like that you can kind of subscribe to what's interesting, interesting to you at that point in time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah. So going back to the question, like, I don't, I don't know if there was ever like an aha moment, but you know, even in college, like that was the same kind of thing where, uh, you know, I was a chemi, uh, and BME and biomedical engineering, but, um, you know, what also, I was obviously, so I was running a, a business as well at the same time. And um, then I did, so at Carnegie Mellon, you had to do, if you were an engineer, you had to do like a liberal arts concentration. Um, so mine was, was in, uh, was in history. And so I was always, you know, so in addition to the engineering, I'd be doing history. Whereas, you know, a lot of, a lot of my um, counterparts, like in engineering, a lot of them did a language. Cause you know, I think professionally, that's probably the probably the best especially uh you know from if that's what you know you're trying to optimize for jobs and um and those types of opportunities so uh you know i was well i don't think i at least i personally didn't know anybody else in the chemi program doing history as the the concentration so i was just always kind of like reading different stuff than people and mm -hmm. um yeah and i was a twitter user at that time too so yeah. even though it was a nascent uh nascent <laughs> days nice 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 uh yeah, that actually sounds uh, kind of like me growing up too. I was uh, probably not very well liked by by teachers. Yeah, um, especially <laughs> like yeah, elementary math. You know, like we're not we're not even using calculators, and so I'm I'm doing something like it's not I'm not cheating. Why, why do I have to waste time and write down? Right, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yep, yep. I'll uh, still I still hold that I'll hold that grape till uh till till the end of my days. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and then uh, Jeff and I, you know, got into. Uh, uh, in line, like aggressive skating too, back in elementary oh, nice. school as well. Uh, and then we had a, a guest on a while back. You may have heard of him too, Omar Elatar. He's a big YouTuber and podcaster. Hmm. Um, yeah, I've, he, I've definitely yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah, and he he was also a skater too. And you know, we had kind of the 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 theory that we talked about too that you know, what well, is it kind of a chicken egg as far as you know skating and kind of anti authority because you're you're yeah. out there not hurting anybody and then all of a sudden you're you're harassed. Mm -hmm. uh, or or did you get into that? because you wanted to be creative and go against the grain. It's, it's interesting. So it's very um, hard to know, like what, you know, like that, you're right. It is a chicken and egg problem. And, and I don't know if you can pull it apart. Like it's, it's very, uh, I mean, this, that's a whole nother discussion. Like what makes it, it's like, you know, okay, you want this thing, but like what made you want that? Yeah, what and then you can keep you? going, you know, you can kind of keep like peeling back the, the layers of the onion there. Yeah, and uh, shape that I don't know if you'll get to an answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and then just, yeah, another a friend of, uh, 
ours are Jeff and I grew up with, uh, started a brewery, but we were, you know, skating buddies back in junior high too. Yep. And, yeah. We'd always get, you know, picked on by, you know, either big kids or police or something. It was just, you know, you, you start getting annoyed and yep. you want to go somewhere else or do something different. And yeah. there's something about that anti-authority that, uh, you know, that obviously, you know, lead, lends itself to, to entrepreneurship too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. That's, getting <laughs> off, getting off the map. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, it does, it does, uh, to be an entrepreneur, you kind of have to in general, I mean, not every type of entrepreneurship, but, but, but a lot of entrepreneurship, you have to look at kind of the world and say like, well, this should exist, but it doesn't exist. And you kind of have to believe in yourself or have the audaciousness, I guess, to, or audacity to, uh, to, to say that, well, I can make this exist, yep. even though it doesn't exist right now. So yeah, there's, I mean, there's a mix, it's like a balance, uh, you know, like everything, I guess, of uh, humility to, to basically be like, well, this, this is not going to be an easy thing. Like, I'm not going to be able to make this by tomorrow. Um, but so I need to stick with it, but also the, the, uh, self-confidence to, to think that you can actually do it. Mm-hmm. I was actually just thinking, uh, coincidentally just before this of the, the Steve Jobs quote about, uh, you have to be, or is it only the crazy people, uh, try to change the world? Cause you have to be crazy to think that you could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Hey, uh, crazy people get a bad rep, man. There's, there's like, you need a, you need a few screws loose to, <laughs> oh, yeah. to, to make it work in this world. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So what would you say your big, uh, your big picture goal is and like, as far as consulting, who's your target client? Like what, what is your overarching why, you know, not to sound like, you know, an HR person, like what's your five yeah. year goal, <laughs> but like, you yep. know, the whole like manifestation and like visualization, like wh- where, where do you want to go with, with, uh, with you now? You know, that's a, well, that's a great question, uh, that I'm still really trying to figure out honestly for myself. Um, no, I think like, I mean, there's a few themes to it though. Like w- one big one is, uh, and, and this is one that I, I've really kind of spent the last couple of years is really kind of grappling with is, um, is kind of like the idea of, do I want to stay, uh, like entrepreneurial and independent? Do I want to get a job? And, you know, cause like the, the one thing is like, now I've built up enough experience. I can and I, you know, I've had opportunities to get some, some really nice jobs that, that pay well and have, you know, good, you know, interesting work, right. I'm not doing like, like grunt work. And on the other hand, the freedom and the kind of free thinking ability and the, um, just sort of the, the, just like the good feeling you get from creating something that, you know, doesn't exist or honestly for working for yourself, uh, that you get from working for yourself, that's not replicable by any amount of money. Right. Like that's the, that's the, the crazy, that's kind of where I came, came down to. So, um, you know, I've, I've, if you talk about 10 years down the road, like I, I hope to be still very much independent working for myself. What, and, and the form of that, uh, could take a few different things. Like, you know, some people really don't want to do any kind of like consulting or live type of work. They, they want to everything, you know, the whole making money while you sleep thing. Right. And mm-hmm. th- that is a great, a great goal. And, and there is a part of what I want to, to be that, but, um, I actually genuinely enjoy getting my hands dirty in, in projects. So like, you know, even on the consulting type of work, I, I turn down and I hate academic type of consulting. Mm. Um, you know, just given like, so the, the book I wrote that is it's in the realm of corporate innovation, even though it's definitely targeted at, at startups, um, the, the corporate innovation work, like some of the work can be very, very academic. Some can be much more tactical and hands-on. That's the work that I actually enjoy doing. Um, the, the sort of like academic, like, oh, what's our innovation strategy type of work 
you know, there are people that excel at that and are, are honestly better than me at that. And, and, and they enjoy it more. That's, that's not for me. Um, that said, like the tactical hands-on innovation work, I think that's actually where there's a big gap too, coincidentally. So, um, you know, a lot of folks in corporate, they just, they've never worked in a startup. They never, you know, they don't know how to roll up their sleeves and, um, you know, kind of really hit the pavement and sell, let's say to a, a startup. Cause it's a, it's a sale both ways. Sure. Uh, so basically, I guess, so to kind of go back to your question, uh, you know, I do see some element of like consulting and working with companies, whether startups and, and, and larger companies uh, directly. I see some element of that uh, regardless, you know, where, where I am in 10 years or, or today. Um, I do genuinely enjoy that. And then, you know, the second part of it is I do want to get back to like building actual products. And I think that's one big takeaway I took from uh, Unlimited Brewing was it was even though it was a marketplace business model, it was way too, uh, way too focused on one-off sales, right? So, like an event, you know, nobody. Hopefully, I mean, maybe some people do this, but hopefully, nobody gets married on a recurring basis, right? Like that's not a that's not a subscription contract. <laughs> um, that's a, that's a one-off. Uh, and then you know, even the corporate events, like you know, yes, they did a Christmas party every year, but there was no guarantee. Uh, you know, they could subscribe for 12 events, let's say for a year. So it would be, yeah. it'd be very ad hoc. It'd be like, okay, three months before the event, they're like, well, we really want to do this, but it's very hard to predict and build a, a business um, uh, doing it that way. So, you know, I kind of want to get back to, and, and this is back to like my, my base and my original um, kind of uh, even initial forays into entrepreneurship is like, get back to building products that are, well, software, I think I, I really enjoy and um, products that are, that can, work one nest you know this goes back to like the making money while you sleep thing right like i want products that can do that and actually provide value when i'm not the one you know like i don't have to be on the phone to provide value let's say um so building tools like i really like and and in particular b2b type of tools because i think that's what what i understand uh best and also like i i genuinely enjoy b2b work um so i think you know there's kind of like twofold if you if you take a step back and look at the goals like i do want to get back to building products and software companies, but I also, uh, do want to keep some element of that, like very hands-on, uh, tactical consulting type of work. Very cool. Nice. Nice. Yeah. No, yeah. That's to put you on the, on, on the spot with that. And then just for our listeners too, B2B is business to business. <laughs> yeah. So. Sorry. I should have, no. uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's on that. That's you're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we'll wrap it up here with, um, what's on your radar. What's coming up. Tell us where to find you, where to get your book, all the Neil goodness you want to share with our listeners. Sure. So, um, so my web, I have a personal website, neilsony.com. Uh, uh, and then, uh, my book is available. There's a, there's a link on my site, uh, neilsony.com slash the startup goldmine, but, uh, you can, uh, easily find it on Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and a bunch of other places. Um, so that's pretty widely available, uh, in terms of what's coming up. Um, so I am, in the process of actually turning my book, uh, into a course. And that, you know, I, I've resisted doing that for two years. Um, I just, I was getting requests for it and, uh, it's just, I've never made a course before. And it was, I've actually only recently took a course, like a, like an online course for the first time. So I know I'm very late to the party, uh, with that people have been doing that for, for, for years. Um, but yeah, I, I basically got some requests for like, if you read the book, um, there's, a lot of references and, 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 uh, you know, things that actually lend themselves well to sharing more. So like, for example, um, you know, in the book, I talk about the, the tools that corporates use to track the startups they're interacting with. 
you know, it's very, I've gotten a lot of requests for like, okay, can you show me what that looks like or walk me through what that tool actually looks like and how they're judging us and what's, you know, the scoring criteria. Um, there's a contract specific stuff in the book that, uh, you know, people want expansion on and, and I'm going to actually bring in a lawyer to do that part of the course. Uh, so there's like, there's like expanded areas. And, you know, I, I did think about maybe doing a part two of the book, but to be honest, like, I think there's better formats sometimes than a book. Uh, and that's kind of where the, the course is going. So uh, right now on the, uh, for the course is not out yet, um, but you can go to neilsony.com slash course. And there's just a little like, uh, you know, a little sign up page if you're, if that sounds interesting to you. Uh, nice. Yeah. And other than that, uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's probably the main social network I use as, as Stu knows. Uh, so mm-hmm. twitter.com uh, slash the rail Neil S uh, is where, where to find me. Um, and let's see, I think that just about covers it. Uh, so yeah, so, so right now that's, that's the big thing that's, that's upcoming. Um, but other than that, I've just been heads down on, on some interesting consulting projects. So awesome. Nice. That's exciting. So, uh, we'll, uh, have a little write up about this on riseaboveit.com and then we'll link to all that, uh, as well. So, uh, people can just click right there if they happen to be on, on rise above it as well. Uh, and yeah, no, I mean, uh, thank you. This was, this was great. And, you know, I, I think there's, you know, a reason we started with uh, the permaculture question because it was all connected, like you said, and it's not, it's not hippie. I think it's very, <laughs> I think it's very real. And, you know, you might've said that jokingly, but you, you definitely expanded on that uh, with our, uh, you know, subsequent questions. And I, I love the map versus terrain. I think there's a lot of, you know, fun tangents that, you know, a listener can go off on and, and relate it back to, you know, whatever their field of study is. So, uh, yeah, thank you. You know, appreciate your, your time and, you know, you're definitely a, a wealth of knowledge and, you know, we, uh, wish you the, the best for, uh, what you got going on. Yeah, this was, this was fun. I, uh, appreciated some of those questions. I haven't been asked uh, a lot of those before <laughs> as hopefully, hopefully you could, uh, you could tell I was thinking on the spot and, and didn't uh, stall too much. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, no, we we try. We try to do uh, a little bit of a, a business related, uh, you know, hot ones. If you know the the hot wing uh, interview, yep. so uh, yeah. try to be a little bit different, you know, as much as we can. So, uh, yeah, th- uh, thank you again, and uh, we'll we'll let you get back to it. Cool. Thanks. This was this was a blast. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. <Yeah. laughs>